My name is Sam Donahue, and I work for Wellspring as the Director of Neighborhood Ministries, um, and I live at the Guest House, and I dabble in some work with Care Portal as well, so that is why I'm up here today. Um, I just, wow, that video I see, I was tearing up too, and I see a lot of you are too, so I'm glad I'm not alone. Um, I just want to thank the families for sharing their heart, because um, what they're doing is very valuable and very vulnerable, and for sharing that with us. Um, I loved the theme of feeling um, unqualified and how it's hard to ask for help, but then how community came along and helped even when um, they couldn't actually verbalize that. So I think that's really awesome. Um, and I just love the segue because that's exactly what we're talking about today, how we can be all in and help care for vulnerable children and families in our community. So through our partnership with Care Portal, we were introduced to what they have, they call it the grid, but it's specifically for Care Portal. Um, and this is just an awesome visual that lays out different ways to enter into the arena of caring for the vulnerable. Um, so Marissa and I and some other ladies, we've kind of tweaked that around to create um, a Wellspring-specific grid. Um, if Camden, if you want to put that up now. Also, they're actually at the end of your pews. If you want to pass those out to see, um, I like looking that way versus on the screen. So whatever's best for you. So this is a visual, and it highlights the five ministries that Wellspring is currently involved in um, with this arena. Um, so when you're navigating the grid, it's super important to know that the top on five, the, I'm sorry, the five on top are the ministries, so Care Portal, Guest House, Safe Families, Foster Care and Adoption. And then as you go down on the left, you'll see Tier 1 is physical, Tier 2 is relational, and Tier 3 is family. So that's like coming into your home. Um, so with this, this top left corner of answering a Care Portal email of maybe like responding to beds, that's like a least level of commitment in this arena. We're answering an email, we're delivering, we can hang in there with the family or we can choose for that to be our only interaction. But if you go farther across or farther down the grid, you're gonna see that it becomes like deeper levels of interactions. So this is like actually inviting um, people to live in your home or um, with foster care and stuff like that. So our hope in sharing this grid is to allow everyone to see the tangible ways that you can um, be involved in these spaces. So whatever is the best commitment for you and your family at this moment in time, that's why we wanted to put very like visual, this is what we can do. Um, so today I get to talk about the first three um, ministries. So we're gonna start with Care Portal. This is one of my babies I love. Um, so we launched that in our counties in August of 2016. And in case you don't know, this is a technology that basically the church partners with Children's Division. So if Children's Division is going in um, and seeing that a family needs a bed or a couch or whatever would be helpful for this family to be able to um, parent better or be able to have a safe place to sleep, then they're going to, the worker will enter it in into the system and that shoots out to the churches and then hopefully we are able to respond to this and then meet the family, um, help them with their need. Oops, sorry. And then, well, here we go. Um, and then hopefully like during that delivery process, there's like a spark of connection that has made with the family. So then a relationship can be built and then a support system to be able to walk alongside the family. And also we are lucky because um, here in our county, St. Joseph School District, the social workers and the counselors are also able to post as well. So we're being able to hit on the preventative side with families. So the biggest things for Care Portal with me that stand out um, 
is that when Children's Division goes into a home, a lot of them have very limited time to be with that family, and some of them is as limited as 30 days, where we, um, and they have to stay at this professional red tape level, where we as a church can go in and we can spend as little or as much time as we want with the families. And then also, we don't really have the red tape. We can just be a relationship. I can put you in my car. We can grocery shop together, whatever the relationship turns out to be. Um, and then second, this is the huge one. So the state is partnering with the church and allowing us to go into these families' homes and build connections with them, which I just love that piece. I think it's amazing. Um, and I just, yeah, want to thank God for that, that he has allowed that partnership to happen. So... Um, a few other things that I want to just remind everyone with Care Portal is that the slogan with Care Portal is every church doing a little. So it's never expected for, like I know we've had a lot of um, electric bills that are like $300 or more recently. And so it's not expected to like, my family is going to answer this whole $300 need. It would be if I have $20 to throw in and another person has $20 to throw in, like that go that adds up very quickly. So when you get those emails, I don't want you to feel overwhelmed in that and just to remember every church doing a little. Um, also, super exciting, our uh, small group leaders, a lot of them have signed up to take over answering some requests throughout the year, and then their small group will help and um, wrap around that family as well. So that's also a new piece that we're doing, and we're super excited to see the stories that come out of that. Um, and here at Wellspring, we have recently appointed a new point person who is kind of the lead at Wellspring for that. And her name is Olivia Nichols. If you want to stand, Olivia, and wave. You've probably um, received a few emails from her so far. And just kind of be on the lookout because she's going to send a new um, survey this week of different ways that we can get people so we're not over um, emailing you. Like if you have a specific need that you would like to be involved in, we want to hit that in that way in the categories. So. Okay, so if we go to the grid just a little bit deeper, you're going to see the guest house, and that's my first true um, love and baby there. <clears throat> um, so in August of 2014 is when we moved into the neighborhood just right up the street um, at the guest house, and if you've ever been to like an intro to Wellspring class, you know that we bought this building of Wellspring on purpose to be in a neighborhood and to partner with Edison Elementary just right down the street, and so our goal at the guest house is to show and tell Jesus to the Edison and Wellspring neighborhood. We wanted to be able to meet our neighbors and really know their stories and build relationships with them. We're trying to do that young life, um, earn the right to be heard, and then be able to speak um, the gospel to them. So we have been doing that um, through different ways. We like coach basketball. We have pizza at the playground. Brittany does that every week. Um, we hosted Edison's concert here this Thursday, and then at the guest house specifically, when there's kids that we make connections with, we invite them over for, like, lunch or dinner or just to hang out. We had a movie night Friday, things like that. Um, so basically, we're just hoping to make these connections and then have deeper conversations and then to hopefully see a heart change. And it's just been really awesome to see what we have figured out is this is a super slow ministry, which is kind of hard for me because I like to go and get things done. Um, but just like showing up, continuing to show up and continuing to champion for kids and build trust, like that's a slow process that um, God continues to chisel away at me with that. Um, also, I want you to hear that the guest house, if you're not really super into kids, which is totally fine, I agree. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, I was going to... 
nervous. No, um, adults aren't my thing. Kids are my thing. So let's go back there. Um, so if kids are not your thing, I do have a ton of things that need done at the house, like helping organize or like house projects or mowing the lawn or helping with snow removal, things that you don't ever really have to see a child. So I don't want you to hear, <laughs> just being honest, some people, that's not their gig. Um, so if that, like if you're hearing like, oh, I can't do that, like don't hear that. This is all in. There are so many different ways to be able to get involved here. And then finally, um, I just want to share with you about the middle ministry here called Safe Families. So this ministry started in 2003 in Chicago. And there's this guy, Dr. Dave Anderson. He was working with like the child welfare system or like um, foster care. And he was just kind of struggling with the fact that there's this trauma that kids are experiencing. So we see like, yes, you're physically abused and then that maybe gets um, healed, but then like later down the road, like there's all this that we haven't really healed like emotionally and stuff. So he didn't like that and he wanted to figure out how could the church step in to help um, before it got too far, too deep in. So what he discovered was this like social isolation of families in crisis. And um, basically what was happening, so if a family goes into crisis, they have no support system to help them. And that's kind of when the state has stepped in to take a child into foster care, which as we know um, from our years of experience in this, it's not really the best to separate families. If we don't have to, we'd like to keep families together. So he said, why could the church not create these host families? And so like if I have a mama in crisis, say she lost her job and she needs as much time as possible to work for or to look for a job or Dad is in the hospital, so his income isn't coming in any longer. And then um, mom is trying to figure out how to single parent now, go to the hospital, and they're surviving on their income. So why couldn't we go to a family who is a host family and ask them, can you keep our kids for a couple weeks while we get back on our feet? And the state isn't involved. They, I've never lost custody. It's a voluntary placement, and we're in partnership coming alongside each other. Um, and kind of the thing that I just like love, love, love about this is that alongside each other, just kind of like the family shared in the video, um, they need, like, we just need to be in it together. So if families don't have safe places, like they could reach out to the church for that. Um, so this is kind of like super high level um, of safe families. And if you come to the bridge event on Tuesday, we're going to have actual representatives from safe families that can tell you more about it. But just to kind of spur it on a little bit more, we wanted to share a family's experience here.
that grid back up. Um, again, I'm Marissa, and I forgot to mention earlier that I am a foster mom, and um, I also have lots of friends and family members who have adopted, so that is why I'm so passionate <laughs> about this. So I am going to talk to you about the next two, foster care and adoption. Um, we're going to start at tier one. Um, basically, this is the most tangible needs that we can meet to help our foster and adopted families. Um, this would be, you can go ahead and read through them as I talk, but don't feel like these are simple things that don't matter. Um, when we bring foster placements into our home, it is so helpful to have a week or two of meals, and it's helpful to have someone that will bring me diapers or formula. Just simple things that really let me know that other people care that we've made this choice, and then we get to introduce our kiddos to more people. Um, so go ahead and read through that and see if any of those are something that would be a skill for you. Um, then we're gonna move down to tier two. Um, this is a little bit more relational and honestly requires a little bit more of your time and vulnerability. But foster families and adoptive families need people who are willing to be in it with them. They need people who will take them to coffee and say, tell me how things are going. How are you? What does it look like to have a foster child? Um, how is the adoption process going? They need people that will walk with them to court they need people who will be a champion for their child. Um, I will get emotional about this, but <laughs> so many of you love on our foster boys. The babysitters I see over here, our community small groups, and also our children's ministry volunteers. Every week they go into classrooms and they are loved. Um, so again, this is not a small feat to really invest in their lives because you're risking loss also right along with us. Um, tier three requires the most sacrifice, but offers the biggest reward. I promise you, <laughs> it will wreck you and grow you. Um, the first thing you see up there is a respite care provider. Let me just kind of explain that there's lots of words <laughs> um, that we don't always know the meaning. Basically, you will go through a very short training and get a respite care license, and this would allow you to babysit foster and adoptive families' kiddos. Um, this allows us to um, go on a vacation, or maybe I just need one day of respite care. I can call these families and have that provided for me. Um, this is a huge blessing, and we definitely need more families that are willing to do this. We're talking short term, a couple of days or maybe a week. Um, and then if you keep moving, um, you can adopt domestically or internationally, and you can also become a foster parent. Um, while the call is to everyone, the opportunity to respond are, is limitless and full of possibilities. You may not be called to bring a child into your family, but you can certainly take a role in serving and supporting those that do. By joining our all-in ministry, you can help us support the ministries and families represented on our grid. We need people on our team who are ready to step into every single box on this grid. We want to challenge you today to try to find somewhere that you see yourself on our grid. God equips us all with unique skills and abilities that he can use to tan in tangible ways to get you and your family involved. Charles Swindoll once said, when the Lord makes it clear you're to follow him in this new direction, focus only on him and refuse to be distracted by comparison with others. In other words, we all need to stop looking at what others are doing and do what God has called us specifically to do. This looks different for all of us. All right, next I'm going to call up um, two friends of ours who are also foster parents. Um, we actually got to go through the foster care training process with them over two and a half years ago, and we have since been able to just 
um, meet with them and talk with them about this journey that is foster care. Um, I want to introduce Holly and Eric McDowell, if they want to come on up. They're going to share just a short version of their journey and basically why they decided to say yes. Um, I'm Eric, and this is Holly, my wife, and uh, we're going to talk to you a little bit about our journey in foster care. Um, we have our children with us today. That is Tucker. He's our oldest son. Oh, there they are. There's Tucker. He's 13. Uh, next to him to the right is Raina. She is now 12. And on the far right, or I guess your left, that's Ariana. She's 15. And in the middle there is our youngest son, Chance. He is now five years old. So we won't tell you our ages. So, um, But basically, uh, for me, um, the why that uh, I chose to get into foster care and Holly and I together, um, she has her, uh, her female emotional gushy version, I have my male version. Um, it basically comes down, you know, I always knew that, uh, uh, you know, the Bible's really, uh, it speaks very clearly about how to take care of widows and orphans. And, and, uh, and when we uh, originally started coming to Wellspring years ago, it was very apparent uh, where Wellspring's heart was in that. And that really helped me definitely on my journey um, with regards to foster care and adoption. Um, but basically, we had three choices uh, in my mind, and it kind of was hinted at there earlier. Um, you could give monetarily and help families out or kids out in the community, not just through foster care. Um, you could, uh, that's not our forte financially, um, or you could, you know, kind of beef the support structures that that second tier talked about where you can, um, you know, support the families in, in many ways, support kids through, uh, you know, functions at school or church and things like that, um, which require a lot of time. And unfortunately, we're at a point in our lives with so many kids, it wasn't always uh, possible for us to do that with our time. Um, and so uh, we decided, well, we have the house. We think we're pretty cool with kids. So we thought maybe that bring them into our house and that alleviates the time and the money issues somewhat. And, uh, and uh, my wife is amazing with kids. So she does most of the work, I'm not going to lie, so why not, all right? So, <laughs> so that's my why and how, uh, my kind of perspective on it, and uh, I'll turn the mic over to her. Um, he's kidding about the I do most of the work part. I mean, sort of, I do, but um, <laughs> like he said, I'm real emotional and I'll be real gushy about all this. Um, my why, and my son told me, he said, Mom, please don't cry today. <laughs> um, my why is just my heart. My heart breaks. <laughs> my heart breaks, like deep in my bones, for these babies. And when I say baby, I'm not just talking about baby. I'm talking about up to 18 years old. And one thing we've learned through foster care is if you don't get what you need as a baby, you keep needing it as a 10-year-old and a 15-year-old and an 18-year-old. But what breaks my heart is these babies who aren't getting their basic needs. And they're just a mess inside and out only because nobody's loved them. Um, when we decided that we were going to do this, and it, like Marissa said, we did the class with her and Brady and a few other families that we knew. Um, it was two and a half years ago. And Raina, our youngest daughter, was kind of our push because we talked about it for a long time in our house. But Raina... She's kind of naggy about it. She kept bugging us, and she'll get you. She did the same thing with a dog. Like, she wanted a dog really bad, so she would start praying. Oh, and God, please soften my dad's heart and let him think about getting a dog. 
And she'll do this, you know, for a while, and we laugh it off, but dang it, somehow God, like, feels her heart or something. But she did the same thing with foster care. And so I'd be cooking dinner, and she'd come in, and she'd say, I thought you and Dad were going to do this. Um, so she was really kind of our jump start. But my why was just I wanted to help these babies. I wanted, I thought, man, we're pretty good with kids. He's a teacher. I'm a teacher. We can do this. It took us maybe about, um, well, I should say this. In the two and a half years that we've done foster care and also respite care, we have had 15 kids come and stay under our roof, 15 foster kids. And that has ranged from all kinds of different ages. Our youngest was um, 20 days old, and the oldest was 11 and a half. Um, all different time periods. One stayed with us just for an afternoon, and then some for a couple days. We had um, one that stayed with us for eight months, and actually our youngest son up there um, was one that we've adopted. We got to adopt him in January from the foster care system. Um, but all of our whys and all of our reasons for wanting to do this, about two weeks into our first experience, we realized, um, woo, we thought we were good with kids. We're not. Um, <laughs> we thought we could do this. We couldn't. Um, we thought we had this really good, stable family and foundation. We didn't. Um, they, this shook us up. Like, it shook us up top to bottom. It was beautiful to bring these kids in, but also super hard, way harder than what we thought it would be. Um, so we thought when we shared today, we got to share that it's important to count the cost in whatever you're doing. Um, we count the cost even more now. So we found ourselves, we were blessed to be able to adopt Chance in January. And we had told ourselves that we would give him a year of stability and just being in our home before we brought any more long-term placements in. So this is how we've racked up so many short-terms. Um, but we're kind of in the place right now where we're counting the cost. And we're praying and we're talking about our why and like what's next. Um, and to be frank, we're kind of scared. It's kind of scary to take in another placement. Um, with the 15 kids that have been in our house, I hate to say this because it's going to sound awful, but um, there was one kiddo that brought in, he brought some evil with him into our home. And that was really hard. It was really hard on me. It was hard on our kids. Um, things that I wouldn't let my kids watch movies about were conversations at our dinner table and things that they were seeing and things that we were doing. So that was a learning experience for us, um, but also just the unsafe feeling that we had in our home for that short time, the eight months, um, really kind of made us question everything. Took a lot of our time away um, from our own kids. And there was one night in particular that I just kind of almost felt like, I'm done. Why are we doing this? Like, I don't see a lot of fruit coming from this. Um, and I see my own babies not getting their mom. And I think it was like 10 o'clock at night. We hadn't said much to our own kids that night. We had been working with our little foster guy who is precious and who we love, but who just has had so many horrible things happen to him in his life. Um, but we were up till about 10 o'clock working with him. After we get him to bed, the two of us are trying to figure out what to do next. It's like 11 o'clock and it hits me. Oh my gosh, we, have, we didn't even tell Ari Tucker and Raina good night. And so I get up out of bed, and I said, I'm going to go downstairs. It's one of those, I'm sure other moms have done it. It's one of those moments you're, you're trying to fall asleep, but you're feeling so guilty for not giving your kids enough attention for the day. So I knew when I walked into their rooms, I was just going to see each of my babies sleeping. 
and I was just going to give him the little mom kiss that they didn't even know I gave him. But 11 o'clock at night, when I walked into my daughter's room, they share a room, and they hate me for that, but this is why I love it. Um, I walked into their room expecting to see my girls sleeping, but what I saw was both my girls sitting together on Raina's bed. They had their Bible out, and they had their journals. They were reading their Bible, and they were praying together. And they were reading about when Jesus tells us that when we don't see our rewards in, here on earth, that we get them in heaven. And that was kind of like a, in your face, like, oh, wait a minute, this is why we're doing this. Not because it's easy, not because we can save every single kid that comes into our home, but because Jesus loves these babies even more than we do. And I think my kids and Eric and I have learned things about Jesus and the way he loves us that I'm just not sure how we would have learned them otherwise. Um, yesterday in the car, I told the kids, you know, I said, okay, we're going to be up front. I asked them, you guys all want to come up front and say something? And they were not up for that. But Tucker says he will now. <laughs> um, but I asked them, I just said, guys, while we're up there, if you could say one thing that you've learned from foster care that maybe you wouldn't have learned otherwise, what would it be? And the girls were both really quick to say that God's got this. That no matter how hard it gets or no matter how mad we get or how sad we get or how long it is, that it ends up okay and that he's got us. And I love that my girls know that. Um, I love that they're learning that as kids, and they'll be able to take that with them in their grown-up life. Um, Tucker said, man, that we don't really have it that bad, that we're really blessed. And he said sometimes his biggest worry is that he knows he's supposed to share Jesus or admit to loving Jesus at school and with his friends. And that can seem really hard, and I can remember when I was in high school and middle school, that's a big deal. He said he reminds himself, okay, if that's the biggest thing I have to worry about today is saying I love Jesus or showing Jesus, that's nothing. Because he knows what all these babies who have come into our house have to deal with every day. Um, our little chance, I asked him, and he's funny, whenever we take a placement into our home, regardless if it's for an afternoon or if it's for extended time that we don't know how long, we usually do a quick family meeting, and when I say family meeting, don't picture Brady Bunch in the den. It's usually in the car, and we're heading somewhere, but we'll do a check-in, like, are you okay with this? Are you okay with this? How are you feeling about this? And it was a little baby that we were only going to have for one day, and actually, we were just covering for somebody in this church who was fostering that baby, but I asked all the kids, and Chance said, Mommy, I think I'm going to be really nervous. I said, you do? And he said, yeah, Mommy, because... I might be afraid that I'm going to have to be a foster kid again. He said, but, Mommy, he said, I do love babies, so we can do it. And then yesterday when I asked him what he learned from foster care, he said, from the very back in his little booster seat, Mommy, I learned that Jesus is way more special than families. And I thought, boy. That's a big thing to learn. And I think sometimes my family can be a bit of an idol to me, and I'll not do things because of, I'm afraid of what it might do to my family. 
or our family relationships, but the truth of the matter is Jesus is more important than anything. And I love that my sweet five-year-old boy knows that and told me that. And then he quickly said, and I think I really like my family a whole, whole, whole lot. <laughs> um, but that's, that's just our little story. I think I'll let Eric say one more thing because I talk way too much. See how that worked? I just stole that microphone and went crazy with it. <laughs> but he just said, what do you want me to say? But, but this morning he told me something really cool about just as we're counting the cost, like why we do this. And that's what I wanted you to say. Oh, yeah. So, um, yes, I remember very well. Uh, no, it, we were talking about our biggest takeaways from foster care and adoption. And uh, really, for me, it has just been, you know, I've uh, growing up in, in the way I grew up and everything like that. And uh, it's grace and mercy and love are, are not my uh, first go-tos as, as a, in my life. You know, it's uh, things that I've been ingrained with. And you know, when you get married, you know, you find a mate that's going to help you be your, you know, your complement, and then your children also do that and soften you up a little bit, too, and, um, and then, uh, and then this, this next journey, you know, teaching has done the same thing, but this journey of foster care really has shown me, I mean, if I could be as big a goofball as I am, and, and the, the sin and stupidity and the things that I should know better than to do, um, and then you get a kid in your house, and God shows me that grace, gives me love and mercy, man, these kids don't deserve anything that's, that's happened in their lives, and uh, and they and, and it's it's it just show me how m much more gracious and merciful and loving that I need to be as a person, and it's helped me grow in that area tremendously, in a lot of ways. And so that's probably been my biggest takeaway to to uh, to see God's grace and mercy and love in a completely and yet another new uh, ways, and uh, it's been very 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 blessing. Well, I want to assure you of a, a few things. One um, is that I'm not giving a full sermon, okay? So this is abbreviated version. We sh I'm sharing my time with these folks today, and I just want to say a couple things. One is that I'm humbled um, to get to share the stage with those folks today. Um, just unbelievable people in our church that are so courageous. Um, and secondly is, is um, you know, I'm an adoptive parent as well. Um, and the reason why we're so emotional, not just us, but all of you too, is that when we are rubbing up against the things that really matter to the heart of God, it touches something in us that was given to us by the Father. He wove that tender spot in our heart for these very things. And so that's why we emote. Um, I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, if you can, page 919. So in Mark chapter 9, Jesus is telling his disciples for the second time um, that, that he is, he's going to be killed, that something's going to be happening to him here. So I want you to look at Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 30. It's going to take a second for you to understand why I'm starting where I am, but hang in there. 
So 9.30 says this, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. And you know, when I read that, I wondered, did they really not understand what he meant? Or did they just not want to understand what he meant? You see, as the Jesus movement was kind of picking up steam, these disciples, Jesus' inner circle, were kind of starting to have some kind of grandiose dreams about what this all could be. I mean, deep inside of them, I think this really, they thought this was leading to Jesus overthrowing Rome and establishing himself as king. And that wasn't beyond their, their comprehension because they had seen Jesus walk on water and raise people from the dead. And so they're like, this guy can do anything, right? And so if you follow the natural trail of their thoughts, they're probably thinking when Jesus becomes king, like we're kind of his tightest buddies, like we're going to be the governors and the, the ministers and, the, you know, the, the, the people in charge um, to help this king rule his kingdom. We're going to have status and authority in, in all of these things, which is pretty, pretty heady things to think about for guys that a couple of years ago were just fishermen and tax collectors. They were on the fast track to increase status. And so anytime that Jesus began talking about something that didn't fit that narrative of kind of where they thought life might be heading, they just really kind of ignored what Jesus said and, and just kind of brushed it aside. Uh, and so what should have been a pretty somber announcement, right? Your leader saying, hey, I'm going to get killed, just kind of gets pushed to the side and, and then strangely leads into this next conversation. Look at verse 33. It says, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he, Jesus, asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. So I want you to picture this. Okay, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, hey, I'm going to get killed. His disciples, mm-hmm. Now, which one of us are the greatest disciples? Like, no, really, like, you know? And, and, it, and it's, it's kind of funny a little bit. It's really kind of ridiculous, right? But it'd be funnier if we weren't so much like them. And here's what I mean. Guys, we come to church, a lot of you, on a fairly regular basis. And you hear... Um, challenging, convicting sermons, um, for one thing, because, gosh, foster kids, kids crying, that's a beautiful thing. Hey, listen, we come to church and we hear convicting messages because the word of God is convicting, right? And, and usually it's confronting this some, something selfish inside of us. And so let's just say that we, we come to, and we hear this message about um, love your enemies and pray for them, which is probably something that all of us could work on, right? At least I know I could. 
But a few minutes later, we walk out of church that day, and, and when we start, our mind just starts thinking about things like, oh man, wasn't, wasn't the worship really cool today? They did a great job, or maybe, maybe we're, we're frustrated because that children's volunteer didn't show up or weren't prepared like they should have been, or maybe we're thinking, oh man, I've got to get home and get things ready at the house because the Chiefs game's on and people are coming over, or what are we going to have for lunch today? I've got to get that figured out, and pretty soon, loving your enemies and praying for them... <laughs> is like the last thing on your mind and your agenda and your concerns and your narratives have kind of taken over and distracted you from that word that was sown into your hearts and it's always interesting to see how jesus handles these situations because i can guarantee you i would not handle them like he does i want you to look at verse 35 it says sitting down Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. You see, Jesus circles them up, these knuckleheads, right? And he draws them in close. And he doesn't yell at them. He doesn't even act like he's really that frustrated with them. And he doesn't even sound... Like, he doesn't tell them that striving for greatness is even a bad thing, right? We all long to be great at something. What Jesus does when he draws them in is that he redefines what greatness is in the kingdom of God. He redefines it. He says, guys, if you want to be great, be the servant of everybody else. In effect, Jesus is reminding them, hey, I'm God, and I'm serving everyone. You guys have seen the way that I pursue and I interact with the broken and the marginalized and, and, and the people that have been pushed to the edges, the overlooked, the afflicted, the untouchables of our society. In fact, in the next chapter, Mark chapter 10, Jesus is going to drop this little nugget on them. Mark 10, 45 says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then Jesus sees this, this moment where he's got the disciples' attention for just kind of an object lesson. I want you to look at verse 36. It says, he took a little child whom he placed among them and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. <laughs> and I was in the office the other day, I was talking with Megan Codeman about um, what I was going to be talking about. I was like, hey, what do you think about this passage? And, and, uh, and literally, like, I talked for like 10 seconds and she started crying. I'm like... It doesn't take much to make her cry, but I'm like, I was like, I had you at little children, right? She's like, yeah, yeah, you had me there, okay? So Jesus, in the midst of these disciples, he pulls this little child into the circle, and, and he, he puts the child at the center of their conversation, and so that all eyes are on this kid. <laughs> and now you have to understand that in that society, in that time period, that part of the world, the children had no rights. Children were to be seen and not heard. They were the most vulnerable, the most needy, the least able to repay you for any kindness that you extended towards them. 
They had no influence at all. If you did a favor for them, they, could, they couldn't pull any strings to do something to pay you back. So Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, guys, then welcome the child. And you welcome me. And as I thought about it this week, I thought to myself, you know what? If that's true, then the flip side also has to be true. Ignore the vulnerable children around you. And you ignore me. Most of us know that there's an ongoing crisis in our world. 140 million orphans. And our mind wasn't even created to fathom numbers like that. If you haven't been to places where you've seen kids in massive orphanages, um, it's really hard for you to picture and understand the gravity and the weight of that. But if you want to bring it closer to home, 400 and 40,000 foster children in the United States. And if you want to bring it even closer to home, 100 kids in foster care right here in Buchanan County with not near enough licensed families to take those kids in. The need for loving Christian families to stand in the gap for these kids is overwhelming. And I think if Jesus were physically present here today and he decided, hey, I'm going to go to Wellspring this Sunday, right? Bob Goff's been here. Why not Jesus, right? So, so Jesus, I think if he came to church here, he would come, but he would bring a few kids with him, a few kids in need. And I think as we're sitting there singing songs about him, praying to him, talking about how we should be like him. I think he would bring those kids down to the center of our attention here. And he would ask each one of us, who will love these kids, these strangers? Who will welcome them and make room for them and for me? What if Jesus defined the greatness of a church, not by attendance or not by size of the building or how many people are on staff or how many ministries they have. But what if he defined greatness by how well they love the most vulnerable people in their community? And guys, as I stand before you guys today, I want to say this. Wellspring Community Church is a leader in this area. Guys, my role in Care Portal, I'm, I'm out meeting various pastors, much larger churches than ours. And when I ask churches sometimes of 1,000, 2,000 people, you guys have some foster parents in your, in your church? They either say, I don't know, or I think there might be a couple. They don't even know who they are. Are those families getting cared for? Probably not very well. And guys, that's not true of this church. <laughs> Guys, we are known in St. Joseph. We are known in Kansas City and in other parts of the country where Care Portal is present as a church that takes caring for vulnerable children seriously. To be honest with you, 10 years ago, that wasn't the case, right? But God began moving in my heart through a lot of you guys were on the similar journey. We began opening God's word and finding that it was like everywhere and ha wondering how we'd missed it. <laughs> And we began engaging, and we began taking risks and responding 
and our awareness and obedience is growing. And I just want you guys to know that I'm so proud to call you guys our church and to say that this is what we are about with confidence. But guys, there's still more to do. But this, is, it, this isn't just a calling for some people. And I hope that that's what you're kind of picking up on this, on this morning is that Jesus is asking everyone who claims to be a Christ follower, are you moving towards the vulnerable? And not just vulnerable kids, you can fill in the blank with whoever. Are you moving towards them? What is your posture? When you go out in our community, are you looking for ways to kind of dodge the vulnerable? Are you praying and asking God to push you into those people and to open your heart up to them? Are we servants to all or only some? And guys, this can look a lot of different ways. As we've handed out these cards today, you've kind of seen, you know, no matter where you are, what stage of life you're in, there are ways for you to connect. Some of you guys are in that space right now where you're having kids and you're thinking about what your family's going to look like and you've decided, maybe like Eric and Holly, hey, we've got room for more. It's just a matter of who the more is gonna be. And I want you guys to know, anybody that's, thought about or thinking about moving in that direction guys we are in it with you financially it's a part of our budget we have money set aside to give to families that want to adopt foster whatever the case might be we're in it emotionally we, we just hired a staff person to tell you that we're in it with you okay there's no excuses about that of wondering if we're going to be there some of you guys are older and you have adult children like me. And, and there's, there's ways for you to be engaged in this season, guys. It's not, it's not checkout time. Or it's not just write a check time. It can be that. We'd appreciate that. Okay? But one of the biggest needs is, is for people to foster teenagers. And sometimes that takes kind of a seasoned parent who's been through the teenaging phases to understand how to, how to step in to the, those really hard spaces with kids who've dealt with some stuff. Maybe that's an option. Respite care has been mentioned. That's a huge thing. Can you come alongside some of these younger families who are taking this step, and can you say, hey, we'll take your kids for a weekend? I'm telling you right now, convicted here this morning, my wife and I need to go through respite care training. We really don't have an excuse. So, honey, that's what we're doing, okay? <laughs> we, need to, we need to be available, Okay? Most importantly, people that are in my season of life, okay? Most importantly, have you told your adult children? If you decide to foster or adopt, we're in this with you. Have you spoken those words to them to alleviate any fear or concern they might have? To say financially we're in it with you, emotionally, physically? Guys, our parents were huge in our adoption. I mean, financially, uh, since we've had them home, you know, we had three teenagers, and now we have this newborn, and we got to get to all kinds of different places. They're, they're a little taxi service most of the time, driving kids all around the place. We couldn't have done it without them. Guys, the last group I want to talk to this morning are the young people that are here, okay? The ones that are dreaming about what their family's going to look like one day. Guys, make this conversation about fostering and adopting, and really about God's word, a part of your conversation in your dating relationships, your next boyfriend or girlfriend, that future spouse that you're looking for, you need to have this conversation. Where are you on this issue? 
okay? Because it's got to be talked about. It's much harder to be way down the road, and then sometimes it takes a long time to convince the other person. If you've already had that conversation, then, hey, we're in. We know what we're doing, right? This is something that, that we're going to be about. Make welcoming the stranger your new normal for your family. I love that we changed the name of this ministry to All In, okay? What if every person in this church was making room for the vulnerable child in some way? Guys, listen, <clears throat> this whole conversation is merely a reflection of the truth that we, every single one of us sitting here today, were once enemies of God. We were once strangers. We were once spiritual orphans. We were once fatherless. And Christ made room for us. He welcomed us. He sacrificed and served so that we could have a place at his table. And so we love because he first loved us. We were worth the inconvenience, the pain and the suffering that he had to endure to make our adoption possible. It will be inconvenient. It was inconvenient for Jesus to save you. And finally, guys, <laughs> I want to say this, I know this is a hard calling, and Jesus does too. As there are a lot of days, more than I'd probably want to tell you, that as a 50-year-old, I don't feel like being the parent of a 7-year-old. I don't want to get on my knees and play football again. My knees hurt, and it's hard to get up from the ground, okay? My wife texted me yesterday, I don't want to be playing kickball right now. I'm like, I know, honey, it's, it's difficult, right? But guys, some of the lessons people have talked about, guys, we find in those moments when we're most at the end of ourselves that in our weakness, God is strong. That's how we find it out, is that we have to put ourselves in places where we can't handle it, where we're overwhelmed, where we're tired, and not just where we're always uh, you know, sufficient and efficient and in control. His grace is sufficient for my fears and doubts. And guys, I want to leave you with this today. Galatians 6, 9, a lot of you guys know this verse. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is the biggest battle that I face. In our own church and in churches that I go and speak to and other pastors that I talk to is, is the weariness in doing good. Guys, people can get excited about this topic for a few months, maybe a year. But to keep banging the drum because the problem is never going away. There are always going to be vulnerable children in our communities and in our world forever. And so this can't be just this hot button topic, the next cool thing on the church's radar that, that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow, guys. This is always here. It was here when Jesus was around, and it's going to be here our whole life. And so this can't just be a message or a service that was interesting. We can't walk away and say, oh, wasn't that cool when we did Stand Sunday? It, it demands action. We've got to respond in some way, all of us, right, to be in this, to really begin to, to push back the darkness and, and to be providing hope. As I've said before, 
Guys, we all stand up here, all of us this morning, we are standing here on behalf of the kids that don't have a voice. Saying to the church, people who are supposed to be representing Christ and bringing the little children in, hey guys, let's go. <laughs> For that kid who's not here today talking, who's probably hoping, I hope a family picks me <laughs> and loves me and makes room for me and invites me in. Marissa's going to come and kind of just talk about how we can respond as we get ready to close today. Today on Stand Sunday, we're going to call some of you to stand with us. So as I call some of these topics, will you please stand and stay standing until the end of service? Please stand if you have adopted a child internationally or domestically. Please stand. Sorry. <laughs> if you have fostered a child or many children. Please stand if you have done respite care for a foster or adoptive family. Please stand if you have answered care portal emails. Please stand if you have served on our wraparound team. Please stand if you have coached a basketball team at Edison. Please stand if you have spent time at the guest house, you have lived there, or you have spent time with the kids. Please stand if you have taken a meal, diapers, or other supplies to a foster or adoptive family. Please stand if you have provided financial assistance for a family in foster care or adoption. Please stand if you have babysat a foster or adoptive child. Please stand if you have served in our children's ministry and gotten to take care of our kiddos. Please stand if you have been in it with a family that have fostered or adopted. Please stand if you have prayed for one of us or our children. Lastly, we ask that you stand if you saw yourself somewhere in the grid today. Please stand if you see a place that you see fit to start serving the vulnerable and the orphan. If you are standing with us now, we invite you to come to our bridge event on Tuesday. We're going to talk more about these specific ministries and how you can get involved. Um, there's more information in the back, but it's 5.30 to 7.30 on Tuesday. Child care and dinner is provided. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity today to share with you. Bob's going to close us in prayer.